Sales Tuners, Episode 14, John Loger, Founder of Consulting Unleashed. It is amazing how many gatekeepers will tell you exactly what to do uh, to connect with a person. In fact, a number of gatekeepers will say, look, I'll tell you what, I can sneak you in, um, you know, I've got 15 minutes on this day. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Strength Finders and says, you do not discover the future. You create it with the actions you take today. All right, Sales Sooners, it's almost the new year, and if you're like me, you're starting to put those 2017 goals down on paper. If that's the case, and you're ready for next year to be the best year you've ever had in sales, I've made a free resource available for you at salessooners.com roadmap to help you on your journey to get to where you aspire to be. I've put together a workbook that will help you begin with the end in mind, starting with your revenue goal, and then working backwards into all the activities you'll need to do on a monthly, weekly, and even daily basis to get there. Included in the workbook is an Excel file that will do all the calculations for you, and I've even included my personal weekly activity scorecard so you can see exactly how I'm spending my days. So, when you're ready to start, you can download all of that for free at salestuners.com slash roadmap, R-O-A-D-M-A-P, all one word. My guest today is John Loger. John has been a sales professional for more than 25 years and has had the unique privilege of conducting over 5,000 one-on-one strategic focus sessions with managing directors, CEOs, and entrepreneurs in 140 different industry groups. His focus has been to see how they grew their businesses, what they did to market them, what worked, and, well, what didn't. Over the last three years, John has traveled the world, having not spent more than two weeks in any one place. His average stay is typically three to five days, but he lists his residency as any seat in the first eight rows of an international flight. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octa for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash loger. But now let's get to the conversation where John tells me about how he spent the last few years helping entrepreneurs launch 137 different consulting businesses that have generated more than $32 million in revenue. Well, I th- I guess uh, for me, um, the last few years of my life have been helping people to establish and start their own consulting business to uh, to take the skills that they have and value those skills and actually build a- an asset, a business. And also those people who are t- trying to scale uh, their freelancing or consulting business to uh, significant levels and again, to build an asset. So with, I essentially work with people who are either getting out of work and wanting to do something themselves or they're already established a business and they're trying to scale. They're, they're moving from being the the small mind, you know, the small type of business into the seven figure, seven figure multiple, seven figure plus uh, type scenarios. So 
Uh, I run a group called the Consulting Champions, um, and uh, and essentially they're people all over the world who are who are scaling and building businesses. I've got about 110 of those that I've helped start their businesses in the last two years. Uh, and so for me, my passion is helping to uh, helping people uh, realize their entrepreneurial opportunities. So I kind of work in one of the best parts of of business, I think, where we're the problem solvers. And the other part, I guess, what what I'm really passionate about in terms of uh, outside of work is I love to travel. So I made my life's work uh, part of my life's passion. That's fantastic. John, John, let's go way back, though. Tell me, how did you actually get into sales? How did I get into sales? I basically, I, I'm just, you know, I thought about this question a lot because I think in every position where I started, I had to kind of sell myself. So uh, my first sales position was selling boats. I was a 16-year-old kid. Uh, I worked um, uh, in a, uh, a chandlery, which is a marine yard, and they had boats that they would sell. And uh, because I was basically the chief operating officer of everything dirty uh, and messy, um, I pretty much, you know, when a customer would walk in on the lot and they would check out the boats, they'd ask me questions and I'd say, you know, I'd say, this is what I know about the boat and, you know, this is how it works and it's really cool and all those sorts of things. And, uh, and then say, um, uh, would you like to buy it? Now, at that early stage, I really didn't know a lot about sales. So for me, it was like, this is what it looks like. It floats. Um, if you want one of these things and it does what it says it does, then you can have it. Um, that was my that was my uh, extent of my experience. So uh, I would say uh, at 16, but then I got uh, was fortunate enough to spend some time uh, doing sales training um, uh, in uh, the uh, catering world where we were you know working on selling catering opportunities or catering events. Um, and then I uh, went into while I was in college, I uh, bought. A restaurant, which is the dumbest idea that I ever had, and then I had to sell to people to come and eat at my restaurant. So uh, my earliest days were being thrown in the uh, in the deep end and saying, "We sell boats. You got to help people buy these boats." Not a bad way to break into the business, though. That sounds fun. So uh, fast forward to today and talk to me about your sales process today. How does someone buy from you today, John? Essentially, most people will either pick up, um, if I look at the Consulting Unleashed uh, um, uh, business that I run for consultants around the world, essentially, they'll see a podcast or an interview or they'll see a video that I've put out there or they would have seen me at an event, speaking at an event. Um, so, th- so they'll filter through and they'll garner a message. I have another podcast called uh, Business Unleashed. Uh, so they'll, I, I generally like to provide... Uh, very tactical, very practical, practical and very actionable ideas. So by giving people the nuts and bolts and not holding back with any with that with any of the how tos, a lot of people have been able to take a lot of the stuff that I that I share and actually apply that and generate results themselves. So by almost the default position of sharing results in advance, they then eventually will come to me and say, "Hey, you know, I want to work with you. I want to take my business to a new level." So generally, it's through uh, you know uh, marketing channels. I also use Facebook advertising and all those sorts of methodologies. I probably have seventeen different lead generation strategies to uh, promote and sell my services. So I'm a big believer in um, the more channels you have to open the door to your target audience, the more opportunities you create for yourself. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, in in researching you and talking to others about you, I've been told you are the master at breaking in, getting past the gatekeeper and talking to the right people. Uh, What is that? How are you able to do that, John? Um, I think the biggest thing around getting into the right people, and this is, I'm glad you're asking this question, Jim, because it's the most common question, how to talk to decision makers, uh, those sorts of things. And I've been pretty fortunate that over the years, I've talked to uh, some amazing people who, you know, who who are quite 
uh, 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 incredible in their heights of their success in their business to people who are just getting started, who are, who are you know trying to build something for themselves. The number one way is um, is being relevant. You know, my question is, how can I add value? How can I be relevant to uh, the person I'm trying to connect or engage with? So if I was targeting, for example, my, I have an agency business outside of the uh, the Consulting Unleashed um, group. Uh, that agency business only specializes in working with robotics companies and software companies that support robotics, the robotics industry. So we work with companies that do drone technology and all that sort of stuff. And essentially, we manage databases for those companies. So we implement CRM systems, we develop their sales processes, and we actually develop their supply chain of where they can expose uh, their products to market. So, to, so the people in those companies are they're multi hundred million dollar companies. You know, some of those, some and in fact, our biggest client is a billion dollar company. Um, so, the, you know, I'm always of the belief that you need to speak to the decision maker first, and that is the guy who's running the show. And the person who's running the show will introduce you or walk you down to the people that are relevant in relation to who you should be dealing with to to start the process of negotiation um, uh, of that client. So getting to, the, getting to the CEO or getting to the decision maker is a lot easier than a lot of people make out to be. The first thing is I want to know who that is. It's really easy to find out who the CEO is of any company is pick up the phone and say, who is your CEO? Uh, the second thing I want to know is what their email address is. It's really easy to find their email address. Simple strategy. Hey, I've got an invitation for Bob Brown. Um, just want to make sure I'm spelling Brown correctly. It's B-R-O-W-N, no E on the end. No, no, it's Bob Brown. So just want to make sure I've got the right email. It's bob.brown at ABC company or is it Bob at? No, no, it's just Bob. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Becky. Appreciate your help. And then there goes the email. So my introduction to that person would be an email in, in most cases. Cold email, I believe, is one of the fastest ways to get into people. Now, the key with cold email is relevance. Uh, a lot of people may see this as spam. But for me, I'm going to ask a very poignant, specific question to the CEO. So if it's, if it's a robotics company, a perfect example of an email that I might write would be, hey, I uh, just wanted a quick question on um, market penetration and strategy for robotics companies. Now, that's a very specific question and a fairly long subject line, uh, but I'm going to put that person's name in that subject line. So it'll be Jim. I just want to ask you this question. And then I'll proceed. Look, I'm talking to robotics companies all over the world. I'm finding some commonalities and some issues around supply chain. I just wanted to ask you a really quick question. What is the, what is the biggest frustration or the challenge that you face as a company with distribution supply chain? Um, uh, this is a little bit about who I am and why I'm asking this question. Um, and I'd really appreciate if you can shoot me an answer. And that's it. So that was my introduction. But here's the thing. Most people are not going to respond to that email. Right. So that's what I was thinking. Phone, you know. Yep, and, and that's fine, but I actually send four emails. So I call it the John Logar, how to convert, um, I call them killer emails. The killer email is, here's my question or here's my idea. The second email is, hey, just want to make sure you got my first email, and this is what it was about. My third email is, love to know what you thought about the email I sent you. And my last email is, hey, can you help me out or are you interested? That's pretty much it. Uh, convert, the open rates on those sorts of emails, as long as the information is relevant, can be as high as 60 to 70%. Uh, generally, I'll pick up the phone. If I haven't got a response, um, I will pick up the phone and just say, hey, I know you're a busy guy. I shut these through. Uh, do you mind if I just ask you the question or can I let you know why I sent it to you? And that is my in. Once I've got the conversation, I'm asking if you've got 60 seconds, if this makes sense to you, uh, we can continue the conversation. If it doesn't, um, we can say goodbye. Is that fair enough? Pretty simple. That's pretty simple. I, I want to take it back just a little bit, right? So, you know, I'm a practitioner myself, right? So this week alone, I've made probably 60 to 70 cold calls. I think that I've connected to a human 
probably on 15 of those and only got to the person I wanted to get to maybe twice. So in the in that connect rate, which is very low, and my, my success of getting to the person I actually want to talk to is also very low. How are you able to get past that person and actually get to Bob Brown, I guess, you know, with this example? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. I often act like I know Bob. Uh, if you act like you know Bob in the in your conversation, you'll dramatically change the uh, the, the temperature of the person who's blocking you or gatekeeping you. I mean, I want to ask, I, I want to be reasonable and I want to ask very specific questions uh, that are, that seem reasonable. So I, if I've got a gatekeeper, I want to turn the gatekeeper into, into, into my best friend. I'll even joke with the gatekeeper to the point of saying, look, I know he's busy. I know, you know, uh, you know, you're, you know, I know you're there to help them make sure that they're, um, you know, efficient and being effective with their time as well. Um, what is the best way to speak to this person? If you, if I were you and you were to, act to help me out, what would be the best way to connect or at least engage or at least to have a conversation with this person, um, uh, you know, and respectfully uh, with uh, acknowledging the time they have? It is amazing how many gatekeepers will tell you exactly what to do uh, to connect with a person. In fact, a n- number of gatekeepers will say, look, I'll tell you what, I can sneak you in. Um, you know, I've got 15 minutes on this day. Great. <laughs> right. So it's not that difficult. When I, I, I'm not a big fan of the cold call. I know it's, it works uh, when you do it consistently. Um, I used to have a methodology, the phone mail phone strategy, pick up the phone, ask some questions. If the information is relevant, send some information, then follow up the information, make a sale. It's a really simple way to generate sales. But um, uh, I like to play the odds. So if you say that you're contacting 60-odd people in a few days, uh, I would like to send out 300 cold emails uh, over a period of 30 days. I'm probably going to get about 10 appointments if I'm talking from a corporate point of view or businesses of 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 a larger nature. I'd probably get about 10 appointments and I would use the social media tools like LinkedIn to get in. Um, for me, it's always about relevance and acknowledgement. So if I can acknowledge something of them, what they're doing right, what's working, what I've seen that's positive, um, and then make it, you know, ask, ask a question. Um, you know, who do they know that I know? Maybe I can use, uh, you know, in the robotics world, because I've spoken to t- so many companies in the robotics world, I can sit there and say, hey, I've been speaking to Tommy Matsushita over at ABC Company. I've been speaking to, uh, um, you know, Bob Brown over at ABC Company. Um, your name has come up in the conversation. Is it OK if we have a quick chat? Uh, so I'm using uh, familiarity and this idea of I act like I already know them. Uh, it is a very, very easy way uh, to get past gatekeepers. Um, and, and, and if you have that, if you, if you have that front about you, that little bit of a sense of uh, confidence about you, most people don't question it. You'd be surprised at how many people go, I cannot believe you got through my secretary. Yeah, that's, I, I, it, it makes sense, John. And I love how you, you did that. So now you're in, now you're having a conversation. Uh, you've got them excited. One of the things that you've told me before, John, is that you got to be clear about what you're selling. What do you mean by that? Okay, so the biggest mistake that a lot of salespeople make is understanding what they're doing, what they're selling in relation to the benefit that the client is going to generate from what they're selling. So there's two there's two parts of this story. The first thing in clarity is, um, you know, it, it, clarity means you understand your product, you understand how it works, and you understand how people can benefit. You have a clear understanding of a representation from other people who bought the product. Uh, and enjoyed uh, uh, great results, whether you've saved them time or made money for them or you gave them immense pleasure or you helped them avoid some form of pain, Um, you clearly understand what it is that you're giving to the market. 
right? Um, so that that's a, that's the first point. The second part is the understanding of who it is that is going to gain the greatest benefit. What is their buying motivator? What are their habits? Are they buying this product from somebody else? Have they bought somewhere else? What experiences have they they've had? Where are the frustrations? Um, you know, how do they make a purchasing decision? Uh, that that those pieces of information only come from taking the point of having conversations and understanding. One of the easiest ways for those of you listening, if you really want to understand a vertical market, one of the fastest ways to do this is go to an industry trade show. Just go to an industry trade show, rock up to a booth. You're not there to pitch or sell your idea, but just ask them, what have you been seeing that's going on in the market? What sort of experience are you having? What what sort of feedback are you getting from customers? What do you think people should be excited about? What are people talking about? What are some of the trends? Uh, if there was a common theme, something that you're picking up on that you're seeing over and over again, what what might that be? That's going to give you the intelligence. Like I could spend three hours at a trade show and have the most amazing vertical uh, niche market intelligence and experience that I could literally just feed back to the market. I could sit there and say, listen, it's amazing. I've talked to some of the uh, key companies in this market or key supply chain uh, in this market. And here's some of the things that came up in the conversation. I'd really love to know your opinion of what you perceive or is this relevant or has something like this happened to you? And it'd be really cool if I could just touch base for a few minutes and have a chat about it. It's one of the easiest ways to get uh, direct understanding of a market is go to an event or go to a venue. Uh, A few months ago, I was in New York and I just happened to be staying in a hotel and just around the corner was the Javits Center, which is one of the largest conference centers in the United States. And uh, and I happened to walk past. I wasn't going there for any events. I wasn't speaking. But I happened to walk past the event. And as I was looking through the glass, I was watching the scrolling – uh, you know, who the uh, people that are exhibiting or who the, what events they're having on at the Javits Center. And one of the things that caught my eye was a drone. Uh, uh, it was a drone event, right? It was a, uh, it was a conference for people who um, are dealing with uh, the aviation issues and challenges of compliance with, you know, flying drones, you know, how you can use them, what the commercial applications are, whether they be military or personal or, uh, you know, geographical or whatever uh, uh, issues they're using. Now, I'm in the robotics market and I don't even know this conference is on. So what I do, I walked in the door and said, hey, how can I get into the trade show? Uh, I work with some of the companies uh, that are in this market and I just happen to be in New York. Is there any way I can get in? Lo and behold, instead of having to pay for a badge or pay for a conference ticket, they let me in the door, right? Because I said, hey, look, I've flown all the way from Australia. I didn't even know, didn't even realize it was on. Just happened to be walking past. I'd love it if I could just take a sneak peek. Uh, and they let me in. And so here I was talking with my market, uh, you know, a few minutes later, um, asking those sorts of questions, understanding what's going on. So if you're clear about what you're selling and how people benefit, and you're clear about who is going to get the greatest benefit and understand their buying motivations, uh, essentially what happens there, you end up in a situation of what I call the magic bullet sale. The magic bullet sale is the client buys because they want to buy, not because you're selling it to them. So let's unpack that a little bit, right? So getting the trends, understanding that makes complete sense. How do you transfer that into pulling the pain out of a prospect that you're talking to and getting them to that, as you said, magic bullet sale? Okay. So a perfect example of that, if I was to choose, um, uh, well, let's pick a, a, a niche, and this is a, in the health niche, only because I we I recently generated a significant sale, significant sales in, in this niche. Uh, let's say the physical therapy market. Now, the physical therapy market, the number one they, way they grow their businesses is they need more and more patients. 
The problem is that technology is changing and the customer behavior is changing on how they book physical therapists and they are going to doctors rather than to professionals who treat patients for back pain or for ailments or for joint pain and those sorts of things. So um, so this is a challenge. You know, how do we fill up our, uh, our rooms and our appointment bookings with patients, right? So that's their problem. I want a bucket load of patients. So my question would be, well, you know, who's getting a bucket load of patients? Let me go and chat to a few physical therapy people that are making it happen and generating clients. How are you doing it? What are you doing? How's that working for you? Now, I don't actually need to speak to uh, the market. I've got this really hidden website that nobody seems to be able to access called Google. And I can pretty much type in best strategies for generating patients for physical therapists. And lo and behold, I'll guarantee you there'll be a blog post or an article or something that will show people how they get that result. And so if I know that after talking to a few people in that market to say, you know, one of the things we struggle with is growing our practice or we're going to expand, but to be able to do that, we need to be able to fill our bookings and we seem to be relying on referrals. Um, so it's all willy-nilly. It's a bit of a roller coaster. We get up and down months. Um, but it'd be really cool if we had a way of being able to generate um, patients easily in a way that would help us to, to, to grow. So um, at any uh, in any given market, there's about 10% of the market, and this is purely through studies and, and, uh, and, and the knowledge in what happens in most markets, 10% of the market is ready to buy. 7% of that 10% knows they want to buy something, but they're just not sure what to buy. There's 3% of the people who are ready for your solution. They're sitting saying, we know what we want. We just want somebody to fit the, fit the peg, right? So if, you're, if my conversation, knowing what I've just given you as a bit of background, if I sat there and said, hey, if there was a system, if there was a system that could automatically generate patients for your practice that would invest X amount of dollars on your care plan of care, which might be $1,000 to $1,500 per patient, knowing that you're going to get some referrals from those patients. But if you had a way of bringing those people consistently into so you can fill out your rosters, is that something that would be useful to you? Right? So I know what the pain is. And if I gave you exactly what you were looking for, would that help? That's what I'm asking. So they're going to turn around and say, well, no brainer. Absolutely, that's going to help out. Great. Is it okay if I walk you through a way or walk you through some of the possibilities where that can become a reality for you? Would that be cool? Most people are going to say yes. Most people are going to say yes to that question. So then I'm going to sit there and say, look, before I go into it, I just want to be super clear about your objective here. When you say you want more, how much is that more? Right? When you say that you're getting this and you're getting that and right now then you're not achieving the results, what are some of the roadblocks that are stopping you from getting there? Right. My next question is, how important is it for you to have this thing? Because if you're thinking it's a nice idea and that's all, all OK and you're not thinking strategically on how this can impact on your business, there's really no point in looking at any way of actually adding value or bringing that business to your company. So if, you're gonna, if I was going to give you the money, if I was going to show you the, the result, what are you going to do with the result? Right. What's going to happen? You're going to expand. You're going to bring more people in. You're going to uh, um, provide better care or look at uh, um, uh, adding more value or adding other extra services. Why is this important? Right. So I'm getting them emotionally involved. So at the end of the day, if I can show you a way, if you gave me three patients a month and I gave you 10 or 20 patients or 30 patients a month, would that be a good deal? Hmm. Uh, it, it makes sense. So you make it sound so easy, but if it is like, what what do you think it is, John, that holds so many salespeople back from, from hitting their goals? They're thinking too much about what they want to do. That's the first thing. The second thing is they're thinking too much about what the client, the, the rejection part of the client. They're, they're, they're already playing out the scenario of maneuvering the client to either handle objections or they, they, they in the back of their mind, they're thinking they're going to get some objections. So that becomes an issue. Then there's this idea of value proposition. Some people don't believe what they've got to sell is worth buying. That's a really big problem, 
right? Um, I deal with this all day long where people undervalue what they do. One of the common questions I ask a lot of businesses is, do you feel that you are not charging what you should be charging for your product or service? Um, I've asked, and in fact, I asked this question just this weekend to 200 uh, business owners of varying size from multi-million dollar practices to independent practices, and nearly every single person in the room put their hand up and said, yes, we are not selling our product or service for what we should be selling it for. So there's this. So we have this thing of self-doubt, self-belief uh, that, that holds us back. And the other thing is we just don't like being rejected. Right. And that's fine because what what we're doing in that scenario is we're playing movies in our mind and we're actually enabling um, ourselves to uh, deflate. We're expecting the worst rather than sitting and saying, look, what if they actually said yes? Uh, I don't know. Let me ask you a question, Jimmy. Have you ever been in a situation where you sat down in a pitch, you're going to pitch your uh, product or offering and you know that it was a it was a, a, a relevant uh, investment in your product or service, and you're thinking, you know, I'm not sure if this guy can afford uh, uh, this particular process. But when you ask them the question, they said yes, like in a split second. Said, so, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Ever been there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in that moment, you know that you haven't charged enough. That was the first thing. The second thing is, in that moment, your doubt of perceiving whether or not they can or can't buy something. That is your perception. That is not their perception. So for you to place that on a client, you're doing yourself a disservice. If people really want something, if they want to get their hands on it, they're going to find a way to get their hands on it. You know, there are people driving around in BMWs and Ferraris and Mercedes Benzes and things like that. They don't own those cars, but they do everything they can because they want the feeling, the status or whatever comes, whatever benefit they come from driving those uh, marquee vehicles, uh, they'll do what they have to to have them right? They'll go and put themselves under heavy lease payments. They'll go and because that is the experience or the outcome is worth more to them than what the investment is. And so it's very difficult. It's, it's, it's unfair of us as salespeople um, or as professionals to put that limitation upon the client of thinking, can he or she or them afford my services? If you've got a solution that they desperately want or they see the, the true benefit of, they will find the money. They'll either have the money because they're, they've got it. Uh, they've got an idea of, already, of the budget they're going to spend anyway, and you come in on that budget, and it's a no-brainer to them. Or they're going to find the money because they see the benefit and the value that you're bringing. So the fear factor of individuals or, or people is the stories that we tell us ourselves, the doubt that we have or the confidence that we have in our product or service. This goes back to the clarity idea. Um, and at the same time, uh, understanding the buying motivators of the client, of the customer. It makes complete sense. I've sometimes heard that called the imposter syndrome. And, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and there's still, you know, times in the week or times in the month. I'm like, gosh, am I, am I good enough to be selling this to you at this time? And like, how do you work on that mentally, John? How do you get past that? Um, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this, this happened to me about three weeks ago. I was pitching a very big deal. It was multi, multi, uh, six figure deal. Uh, there was also an equity, uh, stake in the actual deal itself. And I was sitting there going, you know, what are they going to go for it? You know, um, this is a lot, I'm asking for a lot of money here. Um, uh, you know, can I live up to the value proposition or the expectation of the deliverables? Um, and in that moment, I caught myself. You know, it's not the first time that I've thought that way. It doesn't matter that it was a multi-six-figure deal. I've done that when it was a, a you know, a five-figure or a four-figure deal. I've done the same sorts of things. Uh, I think the the thing is, is that as you get experience, um, uh, you've got to catch yourself. You've got to sit there and say, oh, hang on a second, um, why am I thinking this won't work? Why am I ask? Why am I looking at this from proposition of what if it does work? 
rather than thinking about what if this isn't, this isn't going to work, you know? And again, it's frames of reference. I would never have made the pitch. I've never, never constructed the offer if I didn't believe that it wasn't going to work. There would have been no point in being there in the first place. So whatever jittery thing that came up in me in that moment was just me, uh, you know, it might, to me, it might have been a soft check to say, hey, are we right here? <laughs> you know, are you cool about this deal? Do you really want this deal? Uh, it could have been as simple as that. So uh, I think the, the, the key here is is catching yourself. But I think with anything, uh, the more you put yourself in those situations, the more experience you gain, the more confidence you, you build. I mean, I work with people who are starting their businesses. And my thing is, is, you know, forget about your website, forget about your business cards, forget about your, you know, registering your company name, forget all about that. I built an $800,000 business in 10 months without a business card. Uh, I had a cell phone, I had no website, and I was selling websites right? Um, because my stuff isn't important. The value proposition to the customer is what's important, right? So yeah. If you could see me, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I think too often not myself and others, like, we just limit ourselves and our beliefs. So we got to have all these perfect things aligned before we can go sell something. But the reality is all you have to do is go have a business conversation, find that pain point and figure out a solution to get them to that pain point. Yeah. And you may not be the person that's going to deliver that solution sometimes. That's the other thing. You're, you're adding, you know, one of the things we, if we look at great marketers and great business people, Jay Abraham, uh, in chapter four of his book called How to Get Everything You Want Out of Everything You Got, he writes about this idea of preeminence of being the greatest of service to your potential customer. And sometimes you're going to do that to help them as opposed to helping yourself along the way. But because you've taken that philosophy of preeminence, because you're, you're taking the, the philosophy of being of great value and being of great service, you'll dramatically improve the chances of that person coming back to you and saying, hey, I would love to, uh, you know, is there any way, you know, what do you do? How can you help us out? Um, there's often times where I've given large pieces of business to my competitors uh, purely because I believe that my competitor uh, had a better fit or a better solution. Um, I could have helped out, but at the end of the day, I would not have been doing that client, client a service by, you know, providing extra services that I didn't provide that I would have had to shop at anyway. So I would go to a competitor and say, listen, I've got this deal sitting here. Um, you know, I know you guys are really good at this. Uh, you know, can you help me out here? Yeah. And then you're doing that without even the thought of reciprocity, but you know, no. reciprocity is going to come, right? No, that whole concept has built millions of dollars worth of revenue and sales for me of, of taking that concept of preeminence. Um, you know, if we, you know, the, the, you know, I had the good fortune of being able to sit down with Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, and it's really weird. This year we've met up like three times, uh, and on a couple of those occasions, I had the good fortune of sitting down and just having a chat with him. And he's, uh, you know, he's very polarizing. He's very in your face. He's, you know, he is the guy who you see on the video. He's the same guy, right? He's down to earth uh, in his heart. He's got the heart of, you know, wanting to help and encourage people to, to, to ask for more and be better. And I found myself even in that conversation, uh, even though I believe I'm, I am asking for more, I do ask for more, that I actually wasn't asking for enough, you know? Um, and I sat there and I thought, pa, you know, unbelievable. Here I am getting a, a, a little slap in the face uh, by Gary V saying, man, you, you know, you've got to ask for a whole lot more than you're asking for. You've got to take on bigger responsibilities because in doing that, you're going to open the doors to so many other opportunities. And it's so true. And sometimes, you know, and I've been around a lot of incredible people and I constantly get reminders of, of, you know what, I, I've heard that so many times. Uh, maybe it's time I actually took that piece of advice and applied it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so 
you know, if you want to be great at what you do, ask for more. You know, um, there are people in, in our world that, that are very abrasive, right, in the sales world. I, I'm not going to name names, but there's one guy who I, who I love the way he thinks. I love the way he, uh, he is, but he is incredibly polarizing in the sales world. However, he's highly regarded, highly successful, made hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, had his bones to the wall and came back strong, all those sorts of things. So all the elements of somebody that has a great desire to, uh, to be bigger than, than, than what they can be or what they could be um, uh, in terms of normal perception. But again, you know, listening to that, that personal rhetoric where they've had those doubts in their mind and at the end of the day said, look, what's this all about? You know, if I ain't enjoying it, I'm not enjoying it. Why am I doing this? You know, um, if I want more, then I've got to play a bigger game. I've got to ask for more in that process. If I want to be the person that I believe in the dreams that I have about myself, then I've got to kind of do the stuff to get there. I've got to have the conversations that I need to have to get there. Can I accelerate that process? Can, you know, um, are there possibilities or opportunities? And the answer to all those things are yes. You know, so, um, yeah, self-attitude, self-belief and confidence only comes from the doing part. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's where you that's where you get that. And I think people stop themselves uh, from the doing part often purely because they get caught up in the mess. Yeah. Things, Preach. You know? Preach. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, John, I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to flip the script though real quick. I, we've been talking about a lot of positive things, right? But one of the biggest things that my listeners ask for is, hey, all the positivity is great, but what about the other side? Tell me about a fear story and how they overcame that. So can you take me to a time where this stuff just failed? You failed? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, this is, this, this, uh, failure is counterintuitive. On on one hand, people think, "Hey, this is really cool. It was a, it was a great success." But on the other hand, having this great having what is perceived to be a great success was actually an absolute disaster for the business. Um, so, so we were in a situation where we were we were looking at uh, blitzing sales. Well, what I, um, to me, blitzing sales is going for the massive massive push on sales. And in this particular um, service offering, we're in the marketing game. We're offering. Um, uh, advertising services, and we we had our margins set at a certain price point in our negotiations of the deals. We did the blitz, and we generated a whole bucket load of customers. The problem was, is we got our margins incorrect. We we actually uh, didn't price correctly, and because we brought on a whole bunch of clients very quickly, we actually didn't have the capacity or the facilitation to handle those clients. So then what we had to do was buy in more services, uh, more people, so we hired, and we didn't take into consideration any of those costs, so much so that it almost forced us out of business. So we set the situation, we kind of set ourselves up to fail um, because we, we got our margins wrong, we underpriced, which is a disaster for any business. So this is a situation where uh, increasing the capacity of sales almost puts you out of business because you've got to handle what you create and more importantly, you've got to make sure that your costings are right. So this cost me dearly because I didn't pay attention to those margins um, almost to the point where it it was critical. Um, and so uh, let me tell you, um, th- there were moments where I was worrying about paying uh, you know, people's salaries and <laughs> paying sure. creditors and all those sorts of things. And, and it was, it was, uh, it, it was a really weird moment because it, it, it was a moment that came back to haunt me in a question that I often ask people, uh, when you're helping them grow their businesses, you know, what capacity can you handle and how much pressure is this going to put on the business? Like, can you handle the, the business you generate? Because I'm all about, you know, let's, Let's get it happening. Let's put you in a position of strength uh, by bringing the revenue to your business um, and do that in, a, in in the quickest way possible. 
Um, but in doing so, that does put pressures and you've got to be able to handle capacity. The disaster for me was the fact that we screwed up and didn't price right. That cost us. We didn't have the right people in place. That cost us. Um, and so we sat there. We go, holy cow, all this money is going out the window. And now we've got to, you know, in the middle of all of this, we've actually got to deliver. Yeah, you still uh, got to make good on the, on the sales that you yeah, had. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, we would have been sending money back, uh, which would have even put us in a worse position. So the only way out of that, and, and you know, um, I'm reminded of the conversation that I had with Robert Herjavec, um from, uh, from Shark Tank. Uh, you know, he said to me, uh, and he has this, he has this, uh, uh, I think it's one of his sayings. He says, you know, John sales above all else, you know, um, and that's exactly what we did. We, we sold ourselves out of that situation to generate more capital. So again, it was again, being counterintuitive, counterproductive. You think that, hang on a second, you're going to bring a whole bunch more clients on, uh, the second, uh, uh, round of clients, we priced, uh, a value proposition at a significantly higher price point. Uh, and then we were able to uh, basically buy our way out of our problems. So, um, so that solved the problem. But you know, um, to me, uh, you know, I was at the wall. I was literally at the wall. And a lot of people were uh, were not going to be there in their jobs if we didn't sort that out. Yeah, John. Wow. I, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. That uh, wow. You sold your way into a major pain point and then ended up having to sell your way out of it. It's just a great story. So, uh, John, we're going to take a quick break uh, to thank our sponsors. Then we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So, John, you don't go away and sales sooners don't you go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Sooners, Octif has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We are back and it's time for the money round. John, are you ready for the money round? Absolutely. There we go. What's the one thing, John, that has contributed most from uh, your transformation from normal to exceptional? Hanging around exceptional people. If you were to start over today <laughs> in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? Finding something that people want to buy that are already buying readily and then going and selling it to the market as quickly as possible. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win. John, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? God, that's such a great question. Um, uh, I will say, because I just picked this up and read it again for many times, it's Chet Holmes's The Ultimate Sales Machine. Best strategy, best selling strategy book on the planet. I've read it multiple times myself. And uh, sales tuners, if you would like to check out John's suggestion of the ultimate sales machine for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. John, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Uh, offer often and you'll make lots of sales. <laughs> make lots of offers, you'll make lots of sales. Right on. And John, I'll get you out here on this one. How would someone connect with you or find you after the show today if they wanted to? 
Uh, just go to consultingunleashed.com uh, or you can even have a chat with me at calljohnlogar.com. John, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it. This is uh, an awesome podcast and uh, uh, I'd love to, you know, as I said, I get a lot out of listening to it. I, have, I am a listener um, and uh, I think, you know, the more sales education out there, uh, the better in our world. Right on. Have a great day, John. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John as much as I did. It's it's uh, always fun talking to someone with an Aussie accent, and John surely didn't disappoint. Uh, let me get to my top takeaways. Number one, ask for more. If you want to be great at what you do, ask for more. Self-attitude, self-belief, and confidence only come when you take action. And people tend to stop themselves from achieving all they can because they get caught up in self-doubt and distractions. Number two, it's not about you. Forget about your website. Forget about your business cards. Forget about your PowerPoint deck. At the end of the day, all of those things are irrelevant. Find your prospect's true pain and watch the solution present itself. Number three, leverage trade shows. If you find yourself stuck or even in a rut, go to a trade show in your industry. Walk up to the salesman in the booth and just start asking questions. Ask them what they have been seeing in the market, what kind of feedback they're getting from customers. What do they think people should be excited about? What are some of the trends that they hear people talking about? As you start to see some common themes, you're likely to be able to craft a better pitch or a better discovery question set. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you go grab the 2017 Roadmap Workbook I mentioned at the beginning of the show. You can download it for free at salestuners.com roadmap, and you'll be well on your way to making 2017 the best year you've ever had. And as always, if you have any questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me, at salestuners, or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay-